Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 43. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to show how our minds are free and creative, enabling us to pursue purposeful activity to improve and elevate our own lives and to make the world a better place. Please like and follow the podcast's Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist, and follow me on Twitter, also at Cunning of Geist. I will be devoting this entire episode to the fascinating subject of evolution, and in particular, the revolutionary philosophy of American pragmatic philosopher Charles Sanders Peirce. Specifically, I'll be covering three levels of evolution that he proposed. First, blind random evolution. Second, efficient evolution through mechanical necessity. And third, purposeful, holistic, teleological evolution. I believe Charles S. Pierce's philosophy has a great deal of correspondence with Hegel, which I'll be pointing out as we go through this episode. I'll also be covering two contemporary scientists who concur with much of what Pierce was saying back in the uh, close of the 19th century. We'll be discussing uh, physicist Lee Smullen and biologist Rupert Sheldrake. And we've discussed both of these gentlemen before, particularly in episode 26, but we'll be providing some interesting quotations from them later on. Now, There's also an interesting point that I'm going to be making in this episode, and that is that evolution may not just apply solely to biological creatures. It may also apply to the laws of the universe. Uh, These laws may have been evolving as well, and we'll be exploring this. Now, on a related note, I was reading a business book a while back by hedge fund manager Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio heads the largest hedge fund in the world, Bridgewater Associates in the United States. And it's funny sometimes how you get wisdom from outside traditional disciplines. Dalio wrote a book a year or two ago called Principles, outlining his rules for success in business. And let me read his principle 1.4, quote, look to nature to learn how reality works. Don't get hung up on your views of how things should be because you will miss out on learning how they really are. To be good, something must operate consistently with the laws of reality and contribute to the evolution of the whole. That is what is most rewarded. Evolution is the single greatest force in the universe. It is the only thing that is permanent and it drives everything, evolve or die, end quote. Let me repeat this important point of his. Quote, to be good, something must operate consistently with the laws of reality and contribute to the evolution of the whole. That is what is most rewarded, end quote. And this is the essence of what I'm going to be covering today. Now, before I begin, I just want to say that I've learned a tremendous amount when doing the research for this particular episode. And this happens often to me. It's, it's one of the biggest benefits of doing this podcast. I, I learn so much in my preparation. And hopefully this is beneficial to you as well. And what I'm going to be presenting here are some definitely some new ways of thinking about the evolution of the cosmos. Now, I would like to begin with a review of Charles S. Pierce's work and how it relates to the subject at hand. Although I had heard of Pierce before, I really knew very little about him before this week. I knew he was one of the founders of the American Philosophical School of Pragmatism, along with John Dewey and William James in the late 19th century. 
And that was about all I knew, though. So here's what I discovered in my research. Pierce was born in 1839 in Cambridge, a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States. It is the home to Harvard University. His father was a professor of astronomy and mathematics at that university, and Pierce himself graduated from Harvard in 1863. He then went on and worked as a surveyor for the government for some time, and then he became a logic professor at Johns Hopkins University in 1879. He later went on to try farming in 1887, but failed at it and faced economic ruin. He spent the rest of his life basically in poverty, and he'd submitted articles to journals for meager pay, and he had to unfortunately rely on handouts from friends to sustain himself, including from fellow pragmatic philosopher William James. He passed away in 1914. Unfortunately, Pierce's recognition as a major force in philosophy only began after his death. Let me provide some worthy praise that he has received from philosophers that followed him. First, from American philosopher Paul Weiss. He said that Pierce was, quote, the most original, versatile of American philosophers and America's greatest logician, end quote. Bertrand Russell said, quote, Beyond doubt, he was one of the most original minds of that of the later 19th century and certainly the greatest American thinker ever, end quote. It's been reported that Alfred North Whitehead was taken by how much Pierce had anticipated his own process thinking or reading some of Pierce's unpublished manuscripts soon after arriving in Harvard in 1924. And Karl Popper called Pierce one of the, quote, one of the greatest philosophers of all time, end quote. So that's pretty noteworthy praise indeed. Well, what did Pierce have to say? What was he all about? Well, he wrote on a wide variety of subjects. Pretty unbelievable. And I'll just be discussing a few elements of his philosophy here and, how, and show how it relates to Hegelianism. Pierce advocated a metaphysical doctrine he called Sinechism. And it's the view that all phenomena are of one character consisting of a mixture of freedom and constraint that tends in a teleological manner to increase the reasonableness of the universe. Now, this is a very similar concept to Hegel's overall scheme, where the freedom of the logical idea meets the constraints of nature and develops a spirit, increasing the rationality, the realness of the universe. And we've discussed Hegel's overall scheme many times in previous episodes. Now, here is how Pierce's Sinechism specifically links to evolution. Let me quote Joseph Esposito here, who's written about Pierce. Quote, In the tightly woven universe, there is no permanent disconnection between thoughts or representations and things or objects. Thoughts influence and shade into things and vice versa. If there is a disconnect, it is a local condition. The trend is always for an increase in connections to emerge, end quote. So there's a trend going on, a process, an evolution of thought. The Stanford Encyclopedia sums it up well. Let me quote, Pierce makes everything in the Phaneron evolutionary. The whole system evolves. Three figures from the history of culture loomed exceedingly large in the intellectual development of Pierce and in the cultural atmosphere of the period in which Pierce was most active. Hegel in philosophy, Lyle in geology, and Darwin in biology. These thinkers, of course, all have a single theme in common, evolution. Hegel described an evolution of ideas, Lyell an evolution of geological structures, and Darwin an evolution of biological species and varieties. Pierce absorbed it all. 
Pierce's entire thinking early on and later is permeated with the evolutionary idea, which he extended generally, that is to say, beyond the confines of any particular subject matter. For Pierce, the entire universe and everything in it is an evolutionary product. Indeed, he conceived that even the most firmly entrenched of nature's habits, for example, even those habits that are typically called natural laws, have themselves evolved and accordingly can and should be subjects of philosophical and scientific inquiry. One can sensibly seek, in Pierce's view, evolutionary explanations of the existence of particular natural laws. For Pierce, then, the entire phaneron, that is the world of appearances, as well as all the ongoing processes of its interpretation through mental significations, has evolved and is, is evolving. Furthermore, both Hegel and Pierce make the whole evolutionary interpretation of the evolving phaneron to be a process that is said to be logical, the action of logic itself, end quote. Well, that covers it very nicely. In a sense, Pierce is sort of an updated Hegel, a Hegel 2.0, if you will, Hegel in light of Darwinian evolution. Now let's delve more specifically into Pierce's notion of evolution. He says there are three modes to it. First, random change i.e. in Darwinian revolution where random changes appear in our genetics that make possible advances and capabilities. Pierce called this tychism. Second is mechanical or efficient change. This would correspond to survival of the fittest in Darwinian evolution. Pierce called this anarchism. And thirdly, you have what Pierce termed evolution by creative love. Pierce called this agapism. Now, it is here where Pierce breaks with the blind random evolution of Darwin, this third point. He believed in the first two elements, random change and efficient change, as did Darwin, and believed that it was part of the story of evolution. But he added a third element, which he called creative love, and he believed it to be a fundamental force of the universe, a force which guides evolution toward a purpose, a teleology, if you will. And I believe this is the same essential message as Hegel, that life has a purpose, we discuss this in much detail in episode 20, Hegel realizing the purpose of history, and in episode 27, the truth of nature, the historical movement of spirit. Hegel uses the term spirit, and Pierce uses the term creative love, and I believe they essentially refer to the same thing, a thinking beyond common left-brain either-or, me-you type of thinking, and more of a right-brain, holistic, us-together type of reasoning. I believe this is also similar to the creative mind versus the competitive mind, the creative plane versus the competitive plane that William Waddles referenced, um, which we discussed in episode 41. Now, let me quote Pierce here regarding this quote. Three modes of evolution have thus been brought before us. Evolution by fortuitous variation, evolution by mechanical necessity, and evolution by creative love, end quote. And it's all three that drive evolution, as he says. It's more than just change. It's betterment, progress, increase. Not for one, but for all, as Ray Dalio emphasizes. Also, Pierce clearly acknowledged his debt to Hegel. As he himself puts it, quote, my philosophy resuscitates Hegel, though in a strange costume, end quote. Now, before we move on to the evolving laws of nature, there's one element of Pierce's system that needs to be mentioned because it relates directly to Hegel, and that is his notion of thirds. We've covered the triadic nature of Hegel's system before. We went into detail in, in episode 13, Hegel, the Law of Three, and the Christian Trinity. But Pierce is much, much more explicit about this law, and I'll quote him now. Quote, 
Among the many principles of logic which find their application in philosophy, I can here only mention one. Three conceptions are perpetually turning up at every point in every theory of logic and in most rounded systems. They occur in connection with one another. They are conceptions so very broad and consequently indefinite that they are hard to seize and may be easily overlooked. I call them the conceptions of first, second, third. First is the conception of being or existing independent of anything else. Second is the conception of being relative to the conception of reaction with something else. Third is the conception of mediation, whereby a first and a second are brought into relation. Mind is first, matter is second, evolution is third, end quote. As you can see, this is a very similar conception to Hegel's logic, nature, and spirit. And it's spirit that is evolving. Now, let's move on to another very interesting aspect of Pierce's work regarding evolution, which is just getting recognition now in the scientific community. And it concerns the laws of nature. Pierce had the benefit of nearly a century more of scientific findings available to him than Hegel did. And what he did was he took his evolutionary theory and made it underlie the, the laws of nature themselves. Now, here's the issue that's going on here. Physics has established certain constants. Let me mention just a few of them. There's Planck's constant, which is a measuring the photon's energy. Gravity is a constant. The speed of light is a constant. In Einstein's special theory of relativity, the relationship between speed and length and time is a constant. And there are many, many more constants that science has identified. In fact, it's estimated there are at least 26 constants required for the universe to be as it is. And that universe includes life, us. Now, the big question is, where did these laws come from? Did someone or something decide them to be this way? And if so who? Why? Let me quote contemporary author Carter Phipps on this very point. Quote, I found it remarkable to discover in the course of my research that all the way back in the 19th century, Pierce was questioning the most sacred cows of the physical sciences, the laws of nature. For Pierce, the entire universe and all of its forces and creations were subject to evolution. Indeed, Pierce's work was one of the first to begin to theorize how something as ostensibly absolute as a law might be created through the processes of evolution. Perhaps the laws of nature are not unchanging, applying to everything for all time, he suggested. Perhaps they didn't predate the universe. Perhaps they too evolved along with the forms and structures of our cosmos. Pierce suspected that many of the seemingly fixed structures of our universe are in fact better described as habits, habits that have become so deeply embedded in nature that they behave like laws, fixed and unchangeable, end quote. And I'll now quote contemporary physicist Lee Smolin on the same subject regarding Pierce. Quote, if I had been an educated person rather than a narrowly educated person in science, I would have known the quotation that I'm going to read to you, which is from the 1890s from the American philosopher Charles Pierce, who was one of the founders of the philosophical school called Pragmatism. Already in the 1890s, he was worrying about the question of why these laws, which shows that sometimes philosophers really are a century ahead of the scientists. He wrote, and I'll read it slowly so that a translator can get it. Subquote, to suppose universal laws of nature capable of being apprehended by the mind and yet having no reason for their special forms but standing inexplicable and irrational is hardly a justifiable position, 
end subquote. He's saying it's not enough to know what the laws are. You want to ask why these laws, and just to say these are the laws, tough, is irrational and unjustifiable. He says, subquote, uniformities are precisely the sorts of facts that need to be accounted for. Law is par excellence the thing that wants a reason, end subquote. And now here, his thesis is this, subquote, the only possible way of accounting for laws of nature and for uniformity in general is to suppose them the results of evolution, end subquote. By which, from the context, we know it's evolution by natural selection because he was fully absorbing the impact of Darwinism, and that's a lot of what his philosophy and the American pragmatist's philosophy was about, end quote. So there you have it. Let me provide another quote, now by contemporary biologist Rupert Sheldrake, who holds a similar view. Quote, The conventional idea is that there are eternal laws, but nature has no memory. So the way that anything knows how to do what it does, such as a spider making a web, a solution crystallizing into salt, the formation of water molecules, is nothing to do with evolution or anything that has happened in the past, but it is determined by laws of nature. These laws are understood to be outside of nature. In early scientific thought, they were eternal truths in the mind of God. But of course, God is no longer there for modern scientists. So since 1966, which is when the Big Bang Theory of creation was proposed, we have seen the universe as evolving and expanding rather than eternal and static. And these laws have become a kind of hangover from an old worldview, which is no longer necessary. And they are leading modern cosmologists into a lot of difficulties. This is because it is increasingly clear that the laws and the constants of the universe are exactly right for us human beings to exist in it. And this raises the question, why? Yes, it looks as if the universe is designed to be just right for human beings. There are basically only two possible answers to this if we want to retain the concept of immutable laws. One is that there's some kind of deity who's manipulating the laws and constants from the outside, so to speak. But this is not an acceptable theory for most scientists. The alternative is that we are living in a multiverse, that there are lots of universes and we just happen to be living in one that is exactly right for us. But all the others actually exist. However, another way of looking at all this is to say that everything is evolving, even the laws of nature, and that nature has memory, which means that things behave as they do because they remember what they did in the past. We are talking about atoms and molecules here, as well as biological species, a collective memory similar to the archetypal memory proposed by psychologist C.G. Jung. And memory is cumulative. The more often particular patterns of activity are repeated, the more habitual they tend to become, end quote. Now, how do these habits get acquired? Sheldrake proposed that there is a memory function in the universe, much like it is in our own, our own self. Sorry for all the quotes here, but this is really good stuff. Let me quote Sheldrake again. Quote, The universe is more like an organism than a machine. The Big Bang recalls the mythic stories of the hatching of the cosmic egg. It grows, and as it grows, it undergrows an internal differentiation that is more like a gigantic cosmic embryo than the huge eternal machine of mechanistic theory. With this organic alternative, it might make sense to think of the laws of nature as more like habits. Perhaps the laws of nature are habits of the universe, and perhaps the universe has a built-in memory. About 100 years ago, the American philosopher C.S. Pierce said that if we took evolution seriously, if we thought of the entire universe as evolving, then we would have to think of the laws of nature as somehow linked to habits. 
This idea was actually quite common, especially in America. It was espoused by William James and other American philosophers and was quite widely discussed at the end of the 19th century. In Germany, Nietzsche went so far as to suggest that the laws of nature underwent natural selection. Perhaps that there were many laws of nature in the beginning, but only the successful laws survived. Therefore, the universe we see has laws which have evolved through natural selection, end quote. So perhaps the universe itself possesses a memory and evolves through the three laws of evolution to the point where we are today. And of course, this evolution of the universe is, is ongoing. And it's interesting, you know, we talk about laws, we, you know, we have laws in society, and these laws are subject to change. They're not immutable. And governments often do change laws. And it's an interesting concept to think about, that there may not be anything as an immutable, eternal law. Um, so to summarize, what Pierce, Smolin, and Sheldrake are saying is that in the distant past of the universe, the physical laws evolved. We don't know when this occurred. It may have occurred right after the Big Bang. It may have happened during the cosmic inflation in the first fraction of a second of the expanding universe, or perhaps it occurred in the period before the expansion of which we know nothing other than it existed, and this evolution continues. To summarize, Pierce is saying that the universe as a whole is evolving, including its laws, and his views are found meaningful today by some contemporary scientists. Pierce believes this is occurring based on three evolutionary principles, randomness coupled with efficiency, coupled with creativity, and purposeful direction aimed for the benefit of all. And the key is that this direction of evolution is purposeful. It's to build a home for us thinking rational creatures. And this evolution continues, including our own evolution. This puts evolution in the broad sense of the word the way Pierce describes it as fundamental to the universe. And hedge fund king Ray Dalio would agree. And I believe the same can be said for Hegel's philosophy. And we've seen how Pierce's theories round out Hegelianism. They put some meat on the bones of Hegel's views of nature. Now, just to finish off here, let me quote William Waddles, who we talked about in a previous episode. Quote, Intelligence is a consciously living substance. It must have the nature and inherent desire of every living intelligence for increase of life. Every living thing must continually seek for the enlargement of its life, because life, in the mere act of living, must increase itself. Intelligence is under the same necessity for continuous increase. Every thought we think makes it necessary for us to think another thought. Consciousness is continually expanding." End quote. So, hopefully I've adequately covered Pierce's philosophy of evolution, how it relates to Hegelianism, and how it is being endorsed by some current scientists who are not afraid to think outside the box. Okay, that's it for this episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I love all the great comments that I receive, and I continue to want your input on future episodes. Please like, share, and rate this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to tell your like-minded friends about it. All quotes will be listed in the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist a few hours after the episode drops. This is Gregory Novak. This is the Cunning of Geist. See you next time.